Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce my next guest on the Swim for Tribe podcast, Mr. Joe Beer, one of my favorite triathlon coaches. We've go back many, many years. If ever you've picked up a copy of 220 magazine, you will have seen his face and his wise words. He's written many books now, um, appears at many of the triathlon shows, giving his wisdom. Joe, it's a pleasure to finally get you on the show. How's Devon? How's the kids? How's everything going for you at the moment? Great to speak, Dan. And yeah, everything's everything's yeah, a, a slightly new normal, and being a coach, you know, we've had to adapt over the last few months, but thankfully, you know, we're getting the first few races, people are getting back to the gym, back to the pool, so yeah, just, you know, another new normal really is how I see it, and um, yeah, just time to be thinking, unfortunately, 2021 for most people, but at least we're actually looking at fixed dates and being able to see that, you know what, now there's something that people can start aiming for. And... Unlike most of us that use social media as a thinly veiled advert, um, you actually post some really good, solid information. You're, you, you devour research and data and you share it and you just give it away, which is, which is lovely and, and very topical at the moment. You've noticed what exactly? What are we talking about this week? I share well the first time I did something for 220 which was uh, September 91 wow basically taking my dissertation on glucose polymers and, and learning lessons from it and passing it on and that kind of evolved and then it was cycling plus and they said right take science and I had this cycling science column in, in, two, in um, cycling plus for years and with social media you know you don't know what I'm doing day to day whether I've just had a you know a uh, I don't know, a, 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 a Cornish pasty, or I've just, you know, sat in a swimming pool for 20 minutes. That's how some people work social media. They want to tell everybody about their wonderful lifestyle. I see it as a great way of passing on stuff. And what I've noticed, which started in-house, I have a page that my clients can get to, which gives them little updates. And if I suddenly have to change my calls or something happens in my end of things, I can suddenly make a change on that one page and everybody can see that and find out about it. And I started to notice that several, and I mean more than several, started to you know, be unable to deliver sessions. They were feeling very tired. And I'm thinking, you know, this isn't just one person. And I think their life has suddenly, you know, gone, uh, gone a bit haywire and they're therefore being really challenged. This is multiple people. So I thought, right, I'm going to put this out on Facebook just to see if, you know, if there was any other people that were also feeling the same way because I thought and my hunch was this isn't just a short-term um, thing you know this isn't just somebody uh, almost like you know saying oh I've, I've got a bit of a tickly throat well okay you might have hay fever you might have you know slept in a very dry air-conditioned hotel I don't know maybe that's just that fact that this was too many people so I put it out and that was uh, that was about three days ago I think if I look back yeah three days ago so towards the end of uh, end of July, and then just started getting more and more and more people sort of writing comments or passing it to other people that then independently were, were you know in some cases direct messaging me, um, you know uh, like Facebook kind of store if you like, and said right first you've got to admit it, you've got to have patience about it going, and then you've got to communicate it to people that you've had it because 
the moment I started to put that out there, people said, say, oh, actually, I've got to admit that I've had that. Or, do you know what? That's been happening to me, but I've been thinking it's me. Because let's face it, Dan, people immediately think it's their head and that they must be getting weak-wheeled and they've lost it and they can't, you know, they can't, they, they, they can't really see that sometimes you have to listen to your body yeah. and that it is telling you the right signals. And those that are into the science of heart rate variability, which for those who don't know about it, is taking a morning, um, effectively it's a morning resting heart rate, but what you're actually doing is looking at the different parts of the PQRS wave and actually what you're trying to do is to see does your body sense more stress. And multiple people have come back and said, do you know what, my HRV plummeted. And I had a discussion with a guy today who, he, what, he's twice gone to Kona, he's a really solid athlete, and he said, in hindsight, I can see why I was tired last week, because HRV dropped off a cliff, it went from, you know, in the 80s down to in the 50s, and that was enough for us to realise, and also retrospectively to see that as it climbed back up, this particular person said, ah, that was that, that iffy few days. So I think there's something out there, and I don't want everybody to turn into, you know, hypochondriacs, they don't want to stop training, but I think there is a theme that there's there's some fatigue going around, and these people would not, in some cases they don't want to admit it, and they privately message me, but they've actually ended up seeing that there's a theme, and this is across multiple continents, this isn't just a few people yeah. in an area, this is across multiple people, well, um, you know, people in Switzerland, people in the people in the US, people in France, people in the UK. We, we came back from Lanzarote February with you guys, from the, the very successful tri-camp, and we all picked up something and and yeah you've been away the weather's warmer you think about the flight you think about the the fatigue i get to do a lot more training and you know we all picked up some sort of bug and so regardless of what we want to call that something's not quite right and then you know when i read what you, the words you had to say like literally last monday i couldn't get out of bed and now you know we're up four days a week to run the lake you know the alarm goes at 4 30 we've got an 11 year old son so he likes to share his views on things in 4 a.m as well uh so you know I've he's, been... got, he's grown up very quickly he's, he was only 11 months when i last no, 11, years. 11 months 11 months did i say sorry um gosh it feels like 11 years <laughs> But, but literally, you know, and, and you, you know you're tired and it's just a general thing and you want to do a bit of training. And, but literally last Monday, I couldn't, couldn't get out of bed. And, and I was like, look, I'm sorry, Kate, my, my wife. And, you know, like, I, I'm really struggling today. I don't know what's, what's wrong. Um, and just caught up on a ton of sleep and thought it through and just thought, you know what, I, I can't fight this. I can't, I can't shake this off just like this is not me. And, yes. and, and, and suddenly I read that and thought, oh, yeah, that makes some sense. <laughs> yeah, jo Joe's it's, Joe's it's, on the money it's, again. It's, yeah, it's not it's not to turn everybody into oh this person's going to have a day off there for everybody should. I think it's just suddenly going ah okay that doesn't make sense because like you said it's not it's not normal. You've got that thing that you wish to do and you just can't muster up. Other people said you know they were literally looking at things like the overflowing bin, thinking I really can't be bothered to do that, <laughs> and they were thinking you know. That's that's weird because it's literally pick it up, tie it up, go throw it outside in the in the domestic bin and come back in again. And they couldn't even muster the energy to do simple things. They could only do the barest, barest minimum of things. And and you know, you don't like to prescribe things to share things unless there's solid 
data, but this is a little bit different. But let's just let's just carry on now. You know, where does your research come from? Because you you know, when we're in on training camp in Lanza and you prepare your 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 lecture, there's always a reference to a study. You, I, I love how precise, how scientific you are. You're, you're very good at that. Where, where do you, where do you, where does that come from? Oh, multiple sources, Dan. And it may be that it's, you know, it's a piece of research that we can't always see everything when it gets published. And you might see a piece of research that you've seen already, and then they have a, uh, uh, often a, a sidebar that says, you know, cited in, and then you look at other people that are citing it. And then go, oh, actually, there was something um, that's just cropped out. But also, there could be things that retrospectively look at. So it could be you know, anything to do with, uh, I don't know, due to um, you know, nitrate loading for time trials. It could be something to do with HRB. It could be something to do with, you know, uh, bicycle aerodynamics of a particular component. I mean, there is there is endless amount of it. But I think. I would say, you know, it's not, it's not an endless um, amount of research in my brain, but it's a pretty big amount. It must have pushed multiple things out at some point. It'd be like the Homer Simpson thing, you know, they, they change the area code and he suddenly forgets another thing because something else pops out the other side. And I think that may be a bit like that because somebody reminded me the other way, oh, can you remember when we went to Manchester with Graham O'Brien to do that track testing for the hour record? And I couldn't remember it. I went, I can't remember that. Was, was I, I there? I can remember high to 20 significant figures, and I can tell you the first piece of research on recovery drinks. So it's clearly a case of we do remember these things, and I like to be up to date, but I think it's very difficult to be up to date across every piece of, you know, every piece of everything. There are certain, you know, you know it, I know it. We have these, you know, these these, these pet, pet areas we like to keep up on, and also a generalised understanding that a lot of the things that relate to sports that may be looking at your high levels of drag that'll eventually come in when they've got big enough and powerful enough computers we'll be able to do you know drag coefficients in swimming because they'll be able to work out you know on a swimmer what's going on at the moment it's down to you know bikes and riders and the stuff on glucose polymers that i was playing around with in the early 90s you know now glucose polymers are all over the place so i don't think any of this is ever you know there's some bits that are should we say um, slightly like company in-house stuff that you can't necessarily give um, everybody the exact source, but you can give general trends or things that are talked about in certain meetings. Think, okay, there's something to go with that, but I can't quote that, but I can just use that in principle. And I, I know none of this would be so weird and wonderful. I've always got this model in my mind that it's never going to change and turn upside down. We're not going to say in six months actually it's complete rubbish about doing base work we should all be doing super high intensity four days a week and have three days off i mean that's not going to happen i know there are places and certainly gyms that want you to do super high intensity every day and they think that's the way to go but you know we'll, we'll find out with a lot of these crazies and a lot of these trends and i just want to tweak it and i'm always looking at different research from different um segments to try and just tweak that model i wouldn't have said a lot of things that i do now are very different to the to the early 90s stuff and having looked at a piece of paper that a chap who I coached for, I think it was Lanzarote 91 or 92, his piece of paper when I read it, most of it I would absolutely say all of that all over again. And it wasn't that it was out of date then and I'm caught up, is that most of the things have stayed fairly similar. It's actually convincing people that you know, like today, that somebody said, oh, I need to spend another £600 on ceramic bearings on my wheels. 
And I said, absolutely, categorically not. There's another place for you to spend that money. But meanwhile, somebody will say, oh, 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 you know, that's the, that's the key to it. You know, you've, you've been a very high-level swimmer. You've worked with a lot of athletes. You know what it's like. There's a certain amount of not hard work that it's hard every day, but there's some bread-and-butter components of being an endurance athlete that have never changed. It's just we can be a little bit more precise with things and we can certainly debunk some of the silliness that's gone on over the decades that people almost they said it because it was a tripwire and if you said to people no pain no gain and people just assumed that they had to decimate themselves and therefore a few champions aren't in the sports anymore because they, they pummeled their body thinking the difference between them and the person they were trying to beat was one person was banging their head against the wall the other wasn't and they tried to bang their head against the wall it's so a I snazzy let's, let's use a certain amount of research a certain amount of going out on a limb but never on a stupid limb but I've always thought if we protect athletes we give them careful and, and prescribed information I don't see it's difficult to get somebody fit and you know able to do these events I'm not going to get and you're not going to get everybody to be the champion but we can certainly get people smarter than if you leave people to their own devices and I think why that you know that fatigue Facebook sort of post resonated was that it finally gave people the idea that yeah the things that they were listening to in their body suddenly did make sense but they were trying to work out you know what multiple things they could have ate or done that were the reason and it's often not the training the day before or something they ate funny the night before it's actually that they're just unwell and their body is telling them you know to ease up and I like a... that, you know, research will never come up with the answer but it at least points us roughly in the right direction as an individual we'd be scared to admit that it was something um we were failing at but suddenly you've got that group mentality and think oh yeah i, I saw i and suddenly it's like oh we're not so scared of that that that's that's good that that came about Very, very 
uh, should we say, um, probably keen individuals or sometimes tired individuals or just people that just want simple instructions, they sometimes fail to get the same things right continuously. And I think the smart athletes are the ones that, you know, they heed the warnings, they say, oh yeah, I was getting a bit tired, I've done what you said, and oh, I feel so much better. Which was a text I got from somebody, I won't say his name, but you know him from training camps, and he said to me today, oh, I'm feeling so much better, I went for a swim, you know, we did it right by easing up, I'm suddenly feeling different. So there's another person that, you know, tiny bit of advice. Other days, it's absolutely not. It's like, right, pretty thing right this is a hard session i don't want to you know i don't want to be seen as the, the person that takes it easy if um if you were in my head when i sat on swift on a few thursdays in the last few months you wouldn't want to be in there because i've been absolutely battering myself <laughs> one particular time my daughter walked in and looked at me in her eyes I, you know she looked at me as if oh my god dad are you gonna die i mean i was pampering <laughs> myself that hard that's smart in that occasion but Having got this thing about two weeks ago, there's no way on the subsequent two Thursdays I was going to do anything uh, sort of hard. So I, I don't, you know, I think people can perceive when you talk about base or being smart that somehow you're not prepared to dig down, way down into your boots One. and pummel yourself. Like, no, 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 I'm, I'm prepared to do that. Don't worry about it. But at the right time and also, you know, with, with and for the right reasons, not just because there's somebody a little bit further down the trail that I should really be running past. I love this idea that we should be using the infinite game, this idea of just, you know, don't try and beat the person to the end of the lane if, you, if that stops you doing the correct, you know, stroke mechanics. If you're meant to be doing a drill, you're not trying to race somebody. You're not trying to race somebody when you go out and ride your bike for two hours to do zone one. And if we think about the infinite game, no single thing makes a difference right now. But we keep doing it, and I think possibly in a way that you know you and I and, and people that have been in the sports for a long time, we we haven't been biting at things that have always been like, oh, well, you better show those people that you can swim this fast, or you better beat that person. You're playing this game that you know. We, if we fail to get to this point, probably a third of our knowledge we've attained in the last 10 years so we wouldn't have gained all that knowledge if 10 years ago we said i can't do these sports anymore i'm just going to jack it in and do something completely different and never do it again and i think the longevity is why some of these things that people grab at which research can sometimes be a little bit too generous in what they say it can do for you people will suddenly grab at it and think oh that's a solution i've got to drink you know two liters of beetroot well that's a solution i've got to buy you know this particular amazing pair of goggles and i think if we look long term what we'll see it's just about being consistently smart. If you do that, you'll get good rewards at the end of it. I mean, you won't. I can't say life is going to be great for everybody and give them the perfect scenarios, but you make a lot more smarter choices and developments than the person that's always grabbing at the next. You know, you've heard the stories of people, you know, jumping from coach to coach to coach for, for, to try and find the coach that makes them wonderful instead of realizing that each coach has given them information, but they've failed to actually uh, act upon it. The, the one thing that comes up every Q&A we do uh, during the training camps, if I had enough hours per week, I could do the amount of base training you're asking me to do. But I've only got six hours, so why shouldn't I make all of them hard? Can you, can you reassure everyone that even if they've only got six hours a week, what's the ratio and what should they be doing? Uh, well, yeah, the, the, the thing with you know, the less hours... Firstly, is that well, if you've got less hours, it's not because you intend to be sleeping 14 hours a day. 
and therefore you know got less hours because you're the best you know you're, you're, as, you're as good a sleeper as any animal that's on the planet <laughs> why people have got less time is because they've obviously got less um you know less control over work the, kids um, if you like the, the free time the uh, the time between work and commitments with maybe family and maybe things outside of work that they've already committed to so you know if you've got six hours you've got six hours i before i even um sort of talk to you i started on a piece of paper did loads of different notes to bring up things and at the top i put six to eight hours because i reckon that's a good average that i might do and at the moment it, it may it may scrape five okay um I don't consider myself capable of doing an Ironman tomorrow, but I've kept myself very fit and well. I know from the data I've got, particularly in terms of power and heart rate and how I'm running, it's it's you know it's pretty good. And it's I don't know season whatever. I think I started running competitively in in '85, first triathlon in '87, and I'm thinking, well, I'm still going. So there's something about <laughs> that that's working. But also, I've never seen there's a magic like intensity. You've just got to keep consistent. And if somebody's got six hours, to be honest, they haven't got so many hours that you'd say you really need to think about quality over quantity. You actually think, do you know what? That's not that much learning time to learn the movement and mechanics if we're talking somebody doing three sports. I mean, running the left, right, left, right. Yes, it's simple, but it's not without its technical sides. You know, we've been running... Um, uh, a lot longer than we've been on bicycles, and some people are, are very unused to bicycles. I think my saving grace was having a paper round for five years because I was every day on a bicycle bar one, and then all I'd want to do on that one day is grab a bicycle anyway. So that was possibly a saving grace, but for many people, they haven't got in that six hours enough time to think, oh, where do I put the speed work in? It's like you're not even going to be mechanically efficient six hours of training because the best people in any sport are doing no less than 20 hours of training. And they're not doing that because they're bored. They're doing that because to have technical prowess requires a heck of a lot of, you know, 10,000-hour player theory ideas. You, you, you know, you, uh, you've got to practice it. And therefore, you know what, if you've got six hours, I would, I would be loath to even start thinking that somebody needs to concentrate on quality. That said also, they need to stay in zone one. So this is zone one physiologically, not zone one that you might get on your garments that is a very low zone one. Zone one, which we define as up to and including 80% of heart rate max. So I like the analogy, um, perhaps less so in swimming, though it's not impossible, but the analogy of closing your mouth and breathing through your nose. And that keeps you doing enough work. And people say, yeah, yeah, but that's slow. Yeah, that's the definition of training, slow. It's not you going as fast as possible. Oh, I've got an hour. I know. I'll get better by running as fast as possible for an hour. Um, I was in a discussion last night with a, uh, an elite marathoner that I work with that's in, uh, in uh, California. And um, he doesn't say, oh, yeah, this morning I did an hour and I ran as fast as possible. It's just like, yeah, base run this morning, you know, just under an hour. That's it. And I think lots of amateurs that have got this six hours, what they do is think, I've got to cram as much training into that six hours as possible. And I think that's where they go wrong. And I would say, to be honest, I think you need to get technically very efficient at your swim stroke and your ability to um, you know, save energy in the water. You've got to have a very refined bike position that can certainly work to save you watts. And also that your, your running is something whereby you can do enough that your body can take the adversity of 
running off a bike and if you're very competitive running hard off the bike and so with six hours i you know i kind of think that people need to you know i would look i would look at at least 90 percent of that would be in zone one so 90 percent of their week or most training sessions people are taking it easy and i know for some uh, and particularly those that you know think they know better they'll go no 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 i can do, i can train a lot harder than that of course you can that's why you probably and I definitely pick up people that have been decimated by people that have pushed them so hard in so many sessions. They're not just a bit tired. They have, they have blood work that shows that their testosterone is down to single digits. They have immune system stuff that can take us 18 months before it clears. And meanwhile, they were, they were saying, yeah, but my coach pushed me really hard because that was how they were going to get the most out of me. And I think back to the consistency. It's got nothing to do with being pushed hard. So it's about consistently building. And if you've got six hours, you know, welcome to the club. Um, lots of people have got that, but it's that they don't think they're going to cram 12 hours into six hours. Don't don't and, dis- discard the yeah. technical and the level one stuff. You know, that's training. But often people just think, well, that, you know, that that's not real training, is it? Well, yeah, that's it. And, you know, and if, if you've got six hours... Um, the analogy would be if anyone's measured and is uh, you know sat on a, a gym bike or they might even have power measurement. Sat down right now, you and I are using about fifteen watts. Okay, so if they jump on a bike and say, "Yeah, but I was only I was only pressing the pedals at one hundred and fifty watts. It felt really easy, and I had, I had quite a low heart rate. It was I don't know one twenty, one thirty. Fine, you're still turning over oxygen at ten times as much as it was when you were sat down. So that is training." And yet people think they have to push their heart rate either up to the top of zone one because they've heard this idea of doing zone training is in zone one. So they're going to squeeze every last piece out of it. Um, Or what they do is they say, yeah, yeah, but that's quite slow. I can ride at 200 watts for an hour. But then they start going over zone one and into zone two. They say, no, no, I can do it. I can do it. But yeah, no, you can do it. Physiologically, when you pass the 80% point, you start to stress the body. And... That isn't, that isn't what training is about. Training isn't about every day trying to get your body to zone two. It's actually about teaching very repeatable movement patterns. And too much research, either when it's retrospectively analysed for written data, or certainly we've had heart rate monitor data. I don't know about you, but I had a recordable one that I could borrow from uh, the lab at Chichester, and I was I was getting recorded heart rate in like 1989, and it's amazing. You could take it back, download it, print out these graphs, and it was incredible. You know, you could actually see your effort based on a heart rate monitor. But they can now look at heart rate data from as far back and then analyse. Um, there's a, a famous cross-country skiers data that's um, in a really uh, amazing research paper. And across her career, 92% of her training and racing was in zone one and clearly they you know racing wasn't in zone one so the the work that was done in race effort was very high most of the training was therefore done at um zone one because 92 percent of the entire career was done um in um in um in zone one so of course the person could have gone harder but that's not the point of training training isn't to push your body hard and I do get the kickback sometimes that people sort of say it's hard, but it's hard work, you know, to, 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 to go easy. And I'm like, do you know what? I actually find it hard work to go hard. I don't find it hard work to go easy. I find it's quite easy to go easy. But it's that ego on the shoulder or people's choice of groups or the routes that they take. And what they can't do is they can't think 
outside of their box and think, do you know what, I've got to change what I do because I'm going into zone two every day. Therefore, every day, if we look at it physiologically, they are doing speed work. And it would be, you know, you think back to, you know, when you, when you were doing, the, I've seen the graphs, the massive volume of swimming. There is, there is no way that all of that is done as hard as possible. There were definitely, you know, percentages of it where you would have been, but a lot of it, and you've spoken about, and we can see it now with the analysis, that a lot of it is technical yeah. because that's what zone one is. Zone one doesn't mean we're just training the aerobic system. It means we're training the nervous system. We're allowing the person, you know, to actually enjoy and get adept at that sport. But there's too many people that are looking at effort, they're looking at what goes online and goes onto social media and goes onto their, their Strava or whatever. And what they can't do is stay to the right zone. And if you've only got six hours, there's no way in hell that you can just think that you can, you know, push every session because you're going to cram as much data uh, and like in, in the week that people see how hard you're training. I know it sounds like it's a good idea, but there is no data that shows that to be the case. It's in fact the exact opposite. And it's whether somebody's doing six or ten hours as an amateur or whether they're doing 26 or 30 hours as a professional. Well, he's... I, I love your nose breathing tip. Counterintuitively, what, what I would like to see in the world of swimming, in triathlon swimming, if you cannot swim full stroke front crawl mechanically well enough to be in zone one, then you need to work on your mechanically on your front crawl. So many people, uh, they're creating so much drag, so mechanical issues that the heart rate is so high. That's a good indicator that you're could do well could well do with some technical work definitely well yeah the same, you know, same as the analogy with um certainly iron man and half iron man where there's a you know, there's a, a definite pacing strategy there is for olympic and sprint but there's maybe a, a slight bit of variability but nobody you know let's make this really clear particularly once people are out to swim and they you know they jump on their you know the love of their life their, their racing tri bike you know um too many people go too hard and then they look at their run splits afterwards and wonder what's wrong. We know that there's a certain window of um, effort that you can do if you want to run properly. Okay, if you're talking um, a quathlon, yeah, great. Some of these, certainly the, the long bike versions where they've got like 100, 120K, it's brilliant because people swim and then do a time trial. So it's great. And if they're run injured or they want something different, that's, that's good. But a bit like the training week has to be paced and the sessions have to be executed correctly, then so too does a person have to pace it correctly in the bike segment because if they go too hard, they can't just run any harder. Um, it's, it's just it's not possible. Even the elites, you can see they talk about their, their power zones. They're allowed to do a certain effort. If they go over that, they will be walking the run. They will do an implosion. And that's a bit like what happens in the training week. But of course, if somebody's always trained in zone two, I see their data and go, wow, you know, it's not that you're really good at training, you've got high heart rates, it's that you've never absorbed the aerobic work that you're doing. And I've had just, well, lost count of the number of times where people are like, wow, what I do now, mid and sometimes upper zone one, I was used to being way into zone two, sometimes actually at what I'd have thought of as my threshold. Now I can do it in zone one. And what they've actually done is they've slowed down. If there's one piece of advice for people that aren't doing pace work, it's like, if you want to go quicker, just slow down. And, of course, they've got a 
can believe that. It's like, no, you can, you know, you can, uh, you can pinpoint the data that shows why even working too hard on a couple of days can suddenly muck it all up. And it's literally, a, you know, it's only a few percent extra zone two because of the stress that people cause themselves. And yes, it's, it's back to the mechanics. It's back to being able to ride a bike and be efficient on it. Not ride a bike hard, be able to ride a bike and be at home with it, which doesn't happen if you're trying to keep on people's wheels and ride as fast as possible every session. That just puts you more likely to either be very close to the limit and, and fall off your bike because you, you can't handle <laughs> what's going on, or you just are constantly tired and your racing and your training don't look that different. It almost looked like you're doing, you know, too much uh, race speed stuff in training. Training is one thing, racing is another. And, and I do wish people would see that look, this is just going to make them enjoy it, want to do it for longer, but actually get better performances. It's probably the biggest secret. You know, the, the pros don't push themselves as often as you think they do. They might be tired, but they don't push themselves in an effort way. They get themselves out and do another five-hour day. But there's many amateurs that are doing only six hours in a week and they think they have to hammer everything. And it's like, no, I'm sorry, it doesn't work. If it did, I would see the data. But not only that, I would say to people, this is how we do it. Whereas you don't, you know, I can see certainly online and in a few magazines, I can see people that are pushing people hard every day. Okay, that's, that, I think there's different ways for people to coach, but it doesn't work. And I'll absolutely argue that till my last breath. It's not <laughs> physiologically possible to push somebody with that smaller base that hard that often. So I think it's time, you know, if you've got low volume, really, you know, take the time to get good swim coach mechanics, really hone in your bike position and how, how at ease you feel on a bike and so forth, and also be able to run mechanically um, well so that you can take the race day. And yes, in the race day, the run gets progressively harder and harder and harder, but it's not like the swim. You say, well, start easy and go harder, harder, harder to the end, and then get on the bike, start easy and go harder, harder, harder to the end, and then when you get to the run, do exactly the same again. I mean, there's no way to, to race a triathlon. Um, it's just not possible. And I think if you haven't got many hours, make the most of them by really thinking about, you know what, if I'm sat down, I'm using 15 watts, so even if I do relatively easy sessions, and if you, you know, there's always calculations that, you know, a man probably takes about 120 mile, um, 120 calories to do a mile. So if you ran five miles in an hour, you'd use about 600 calories. That, again, is about 150 watts. So, you know, somebody running five miles an hour can say, oh, yeah, but it's pretty slow staying in zone one. Absolutely, that's as fast as you can run, <laughs> but it's still 600 calories. If you'd been sat down at home, you probably would have scraped 60 calories in an hour. So you've done 10 times as much oxygen, but most importantly, that oxygen level that you push through the body is able to be coped with and turned into a training effect. And I've seen miraculous results where people, the first thing I've said to them is just slow right down, and they've done it. I mean, they've done it so well. They're like, if you tell me to do it, I'm not paying just to like counter your advice. I will do it to the letter. They've slowed down, and within weeks, they've suddenly noticed they're going quicker. They're like, wow, that's phenomenal. And what's happened is they've built up so much residual overtraining that I slowed it down and immediately get quicker. Joe, I'm mindful of your time. I could listen to you all day. Um, you're currently uh, planning the January, February tri-camp. We're looking forward to that. Fingers crossed everything's over and back to normal by then. It'd be great to spend some time with you listening to more of your words of wisdom in Club La Santa in January. Still all good for that? Absolutely. And I think, you know, we're getting more normality. And yeah. Is, you know, certain Ironmans like, uh, yeah, 
Cozumel and Western Australia, you know, they're, they're starting to fall into place as solid things that are going to happen. And I think training camps by early next year, yes, we, we should be we should be doing that. And although that seems a million miles away when we are in the you know, middle of a, a long, for most people, base season, I think it's it's good to you know accept that each of these parts of the year come about. But better to you know absorb and enjoy what we can do in the summer. And in the winter, there may well be slightly more indoor sessions, and it is it is. Um, not wise to try and be smashing your FTP in the middle of November, December, and January because it's counterintuitive to the body. But yeah, you know, middle of summer I like it, and the middle of winter I kind of like it because <laughs> we, we do different things. But also, it fits into this overall like summer winter, you know, building into races sort of plan. And at the moment, we've never been in this position where there haven't really been any races, um, and yet. We feel like we should be doing things because we should have been talking about who's just won the Tour de France and uh, the up-and-coming Ironman events and things like that, and we haven't. And I think it'd be lovely to think that by the time we get to maybe even late this year or into definitely very early 2021, that all those normal things have started to slot into play with the training camps and the, the tri-shows and the Ironman races and the long-distance swims and the time trials and everything. And that that's what I think we've all uh, struggled a little bit with, that we haven't had the normality of right now. But absolutely, uh, I mean, while we sit here and it's yeah, currently about 26 degrees and sunny and it's July, it's lovely, but it'd be lovely to uh, be over there when it's nice and cold and we go out and we sit, uh, well, we don't sit down much, but we uh, get the opportunity to be out in the sunshine in the middle of uh, February in, uh, in Lanzarote. Fantastic. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to award-winning triathlon coach Joe Beer. Um, drop me a line or I'll, po- I'll post Joe's details. If you would like uh, to consider, talk to him as a triathlon coach. Uh, you got spaces available at the moment, Joe? Starting in October, yes, but not before then. Not before um, then. It's good. It's good to be busy. You know what it's like, but it's also uh, so it's good to sometimes know your limits and not Ex- go not go to the point where uh, you're you're waking up thinking this is going to be a twenty five hour day. Very sensible. Very sensible. Um, I will uh, share your details and we can get in touch. Uh, also, details of the training camp. Uh, Joe, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for your time, and uh, look forward to catching up with you soon. Take it easy. Great, Great Dan. Take care.